Well, greetings. My name is Mike Grain. Welcome to another Conversations on Retail and the University of Arkansas Supply Chain Management Department. Uh, focus on on shelf availability. I am super excited today to, to welcome my good friend Paul Boboyan from Zebra Technologies. Uh, obviously, uh, Zebra is a industry leader in lots of different applications, uh, lots of different technologies. But uh, today we're going to be focusing primarily on the RFID uh, technology it's, uh, to, to talk about how you specifically leverage some of these uh, solutions in retail. My name is Mike Grain, and I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to spend some time with you. Uh, before we get started too far into this, I want to introduce my good friend Paul Baboyan. Uh, Paul is in the incredibly warm town of Chicago, Illinois. Ten Paul, what's the temperature right there right now? Uh, about 10. <laughs> about 10. And yeah. he just got back from uh, a little bit of uh, family time in Florida. What was the temperature down there, Paul? Oh, about 75. Mm, you went the wrong way. I you went the wrong way, for sure. For sure. So, Paul, give us a little background on yourself. Uh, I know you've been with... Uh, Motorola and then Zebra and in, in this space for a long time. So uh, how about a little introduction about yourself and uh, kind of your role at Zebra? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mike. Uh, pleasure to be here. Um, I've uh, been supporting RFID projects for uh, virtually all of my career in the 90s. I was more on the industrial factory automation side and really focused on uh, semiconductor and electronics manufacturing when the majority of electronics and semiconductors were manufactured here in the States and leveraging more of a proprietary RFID system. And then in the early 2000s, when the DOD and Walmart, you know, made a big splash with um, EPC RFID, this, you know, new technology disruptor in terms of a very low cost RFID solution, I joined on with Zebra and uh, supported all of the Walmart, primarily the Walmart suppliers. And that was my first entry into the, you know, passive RFID and expensive interoperable systems. And since then have been supporting uh, manufacturers and transportation logistics companies. And within the last uh, five years or so, I have uh, strictly been supporting retailers. So stores and uh, distribution centers. So a lot of uh, experience in terms of supporting implementations uh, out there. So glad to be with you today. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to finally find somebody who's actually been in the RFID space longer than I have. I got involved <laughs> in about 2005 when Walmart and P&G started talking about leveraging RFID at the case of Powell level. I didn't realize you actually had experience before that. That's That's tremendous. Yeah. That's tremendous. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started with this. And uh, the, the first, just as an introductory, uh, we're, we're going to uh, have the, uh, the the folks on the line who, who have, are interested in questions, uh, just raise your hand or put something in the chat function. Uh, Matt and myself will be kind of monitoring that chat function for, for any questions that you guys may have. And we will certainly uh, open uh, give you an opportunity to answer the question via chat. If you'd prefer to ask your question live, just uh, raise your hand and again, Matt or, or I will unmute you and allow you to ask your questions directly from Paul. Just want to again, thank for Conversations on Retail, uh, a great platform for, for, for sharing information about the retail platform. This one happens to be on on-shelf availability, but Matt has done a great job of, of building out lots of different things and you can go see his, uh, his website. 
uh, for that uh, conversations on retail. And then, of course, the University of Arkansas, the number one Gartner rated undergraduate supply chain department. I always have to plug that for the folks at the University of Arkansas. But uh, uh, our two LinkedIn profiles, myself and uh, Paul's are right below. And uh, without without further ado, we're just going to kind of go into uh what we want to talk about here. So before we before we jump into the actual content of RFID, Paul, I have a I have a personal question that I love to ask my guests, because in addition to a retail supply chain and RFID expert, you're also a customer, and you order things from stores. You order stuff online. Tell me about a time over the last call three, three to six months where you were disappointed by a potential purchase as a customer. Tell me a little bit about what happened. You don't have to name the retailer if it was a bad experience or if it was a good experience. But this whole idea of that we are actually customers as well, I think is really important. And it's always interesting to hear what kind of experiences my guests have had. There, there's there's uh, one in particular I could think of, which was before Thanksgiving and it's uh, a fairly well-known housewares uh, retailer um, where we were having a family get together and um, we needed to replace uh, some glasses and um, we ordered from the little retailer local store online and um, they're not right down the street so it was a drive to head out that way and um, did a little bit of shopping at a few other stores nearby and <clears throat> stopped by that retailer. And, um, oh, by the way, when, when we were, when we were online shopping, you know, the, the products um, were, you know, were available. They indicated that they were available um, the line items. And so, you know, when I went in the store to pick them up, I start, you know, showed the email and said, hey, I, I've got this order. It should be in the queue. But, um, you know, I ordered a, a few hours ago. I assume they, they'd be ready by now. So they went and looked and came back and said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, we don't have those, you know, in stock. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, when I was online and I ordered them, you know, they, they were available. Um, and they just apologized and said, well, we... It, we 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 should we bring them in from other stores, so it doesn't mean that they're here in the store, and that was really disappointing. Mm. Um, maybe because I was a bit spoiled at some of the other retailers um, that do a better job and you know focus more on what's in their store inventory. But yeah, that was disappointing. And of course, we had our get together, and um, we were missing some you know some glasses, so uh, we you know we I, we couldn't get them in time. Hmm. Not a good experience. Not a good experience. No, very, very disappointing. Very disappointing. You know, I, I've yet to ask that question yet where somebody's given me a tremendous experience. It's usually always a negative experience. So I had some, you know, during COVID, while, while a lot of retailers, you know, weren't quite there yet. I had some really good experiences, you know, um, at a number of different retailers, you know, I don't do it now so much, but, you know, during that time being in a parking slot and waiting for my you know, delivery, I, I, it was, it was impressive. So there are a lot of retailers, you know, they're, that are getting it right, but boy, yeah. when you get disappointed like that, it's, you remember. Well, I don't think that could be a better segue to the slide that I'm about to show um, because the world's biggest retailer feels your pain. 
Uh, I've got a quote here from Doug McMillan. Uh, Mr. Sam actually had one like this as before, but this one's a more recent one from Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart. It's really simple. If you're not meeting the wants and the needs of the customer, you're done. There's not a lot of loyalty there. Because I would imagine, Paul, with whatever retailer you were doing business with, if there was another option for another retailer, you wanted those glasses and you would have found a way to get those glasses. So uh, I, I think people don't have loyalty to a specific retailer anymore. They have they have loyalty to the products that they want. So with that as a backdrop, what I think is really important is to, just to speak a little bit about the business drivers behind this technology, and and I've 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 showed these before, but I think they're always worthwhile looking at. IHL a few years ago did one that says retailers are missing out on a trillion dollars in sales because they don't have what they what on hand what the customers want to buy. Amazon Prime facing empty shelves are fifty two Prime members are more likely fifty two percent more likely to take out their phones and buy what they need online. And what's ironic is you're actually using the retailer Wi-Fi to order it from another competitor, which I think is, is a little bit ironic. And then lastly, 24% of Amazon's current retail comes from customers who try and buy it. I've shared these before, but I always think they're, they're worthwhile going. I've also updated this one. So this one's a pretty interesting one. This is from Insider Intelligence. The box on the left-hand side is the percentage of retail sales that's coming from e-commerce. And e-commerce could be buy it online, uh, have it delivered to your home, buy it online, pick it up in store, otherwise known as BOPUS. There's a there's a term, Paul, that the the uh, Bill Hargrave from the University of Memphis uh, has coined called ROPUS, which I think is interesting, which is research online pick up in store. That's where you look online to see if it's available and then drive to the store. You may not place the order, but you actually do the research ahead of time before you go to the store. As you can see on the right-hand side, and this is the new one, this is it's, it's continuing to grow. These are the percentages of growth in these various categories that are going to be doing online. So uh, that doesn't mean re retail stores are no longer going to exist. They absolutely are, but they are also going to turn into more fulfillment center kind of opportunities. In order to be able to do that, you you definitely have to know what you have and where it's located. And again, I'll share this last screen and then uh, open it up for Paul for a couple of comments here. But this kind of inventory accuracy, where it says the store says I have uh, on the top one four, and I actually have four. If those would have been your glasses, Paul, we would have been fine, right? It said yeah. you have four, you ordered four, we're all good. The problem is too many times we are thinking we have, and like the bottom one, three pairs of jeans, and we actually don't have any at all. And therefore you buy them online and then you go to pick them up. I'm saying, we're sorry, we can't find them. Not only do you not sell them, but because the reorder point is two over the right-hand side, when it comes back to two, I'll order more from the supplier. Well, guess what? It's never going to go down to two because the on-hand thinks I have three. I don't have any, so I'm not going to sell any. I'm not going to order any. So that's that is the that is the game that we are focusing on from a retail perspective, and obviously apparel is part of that. But we're seeing Paul, we're seeing we're seeing some companies kind of expand outside of apparel, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Yep. yep. Categories are expanding quite a bit. Well, I have I, Paul. Paul was nice enough to send me this slide. I think this is really mm -hmm. a good slide, and and he actually just updated it with a couple of things. Yeah. Uh, Paul, walk us through this. What are some of the retail trends that you're seeing in the industry? Well, I won't go through each one. I think um, you can, you know, take a read through these. But I'm going to pick out uh, a, a few that I I think, um, you know, 
there's a lot of insight. Um, you know, first off, in terms of the customer experience, really in today's, you know, marketplace, the retailers, you know, the ability to, to compete in today's world with the customers, you have to expose accurate, you know, inventory onto your web or within your application, because as you mentioned earlier, you know, customers, uh, a lot of sophisticated customers are utilizing their phone while they're in the store and they're looking for information um, or prior to going to the store, they want to know which store has that inventory as, as I, you know, as when I, my experience. So that loyalty, the loyal customers is definitely the fusion of being in the store and leveraging that data and needing accurate data. That's really a retailer's right to play. And if they're not doing that, um, then, you know, they're not an equal footing with others out there, the more advanced that, that are doing it. That's number one. And number two, we'll just talk about the e-commerce picks. I think now that a lot of retailers are picking from their own inventory, and in most cases, they're picking from their shelves, their on-store, you know, for sale shelves, they're actually feeling the impact. They're getting nil picks because of the out of stock. So it's affecting you know, their processes um, firsthand, which is new, you know, which is really new with um, e-commerce and omni-hitting um, within the last couple of years. Uh, the last piece is the profitability pressures. I think, um, you know, it's now a lot of reports, actually in the most recent IHL report, they indicated that, you know, omni-fulfillment is uh, between a five to 15% um, burden on margins. Uh, so in terms of operational efficiencies and figuring out what makes sense in terms of um, omni um, fulfillment from stores, from the, a local micro fulfillment center in the back room, you know, how to handle that, that those processes are still being refining because, you know, they need to uh, improve that bottom line. And I guess the last I'll, I'll speak about is the, the theft. This is, you know, recent, um, you know, we've seen an increase in theft, 2X um, from uh, 2021. And, you know, the input, the feedback from customers, they don't like the security vaults, right? There's been a lot of vaults installed. There's been a lot of now checking receipts, not just at the clubs, but at retailers, many retailers, we were checking the receipts going out. And this is a big issue that we are all trying to get, you know, our arms around. You can see there's, you know, there's others, the supply chain constraints and of course, labor not going away, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. This will be in the deck. You can take a look at. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, the other, the other piece of this, which is I think really fascinating, which is, and we've, we've said this quote before, but if as a retailer, you're turning your brick and mortar stores into fulfillment centers. Yeah. I don't know that they were necessarily ever designed to be fulfillment centers, but that's the migration that's going on. And that means you've got to make the product available for the brick and mortar shoppers as well as fulfillment centers and building on that profitability pressure, you're paying your associates or your team members, not only to stock the product, uh, check out the customer, but also to pick product okay. for customers. So that cost uh, from a profitability be it becomes a bit a bit of an issue from a retail perspective as well. 
Um, well, from, from a from a solution perspective, sorry, I'm going the wrong way. Uh, from a solution perspective, I guess the question is, well, what's the what's the role and what exactly is RFID technology play, Paul? How does RFID play tech, uh, a role in helping uh, to become a disruptor? Yeah, it is, you know, for sure a disruptor because, as you can, you know, note, um, knowing what you have and where you where it is with little or no labor involved is that's that's a disruption to what has typically been, you know, in terms of uh, inventory accuracy in the back room or on the shelves of 50, maybe generously 65% inventory accuracy to a 95% plus, let's say a high 90s percent uh, inventory accuracy, that that is a game changer, right? So first off, it's it's fixing that distortion in terms of what's incoming, what's coming in from the distribution centers at the store, and what is going out, you know, what is paid for, but just as important in terms of inventory levels, what is unpaid for that's mm -hmm. going out the doors as well. And that's that's really key. That's the critical, the fundamental of RFID and the value it provides is the inventory levels. And then of course, at the same time, um, just reducing those mundane tasks because of the automatic data collection um, that RFID provides, it reduces time on tasks. And in some cases it, it eliminates those time on tasks. And of course it, it at the same time um, supports uh, omni-channel. So it. it's, yeah. Well, what I really like about this is um, the, the way you've, you've laid out these business challenges. Um, I, I believe that all of the folks, whether it's a tag provider, whether it's a solution provider, whether it's a software solution, whether it's a hardware solution, they have to work together. These are pieces of the puzzle. Uh, and I think to, to really lay out what some of the business drivers factors are is a really important folks to do. The way I try and look at it is a triangle. And this is the way I call kind of the business value triangle. And usually it was interesting before this year, everybody always said, well, it all starts with on-hand accuracy, knowing what you have, knowing where it's located at a high degree of accuracy. I've started to see a little bit of some of the retailers actually jumping involved and actually bypassing the on-hand accuracy benefits and going right into asset protection, which we'll talk about in a minute. But but Paul, talk us about on-hand accuracy. I think we got a couple slides here, which kind of demonstrate uh, some of the zebra solutions for this on-hand accuracy. Walk us walk us through what some of these would look like. Uh, so high level in terms of reading, you know, tagged items um, to gain that that on-hand accuracy. The we all start with starts out with tagging at source. In other words, RFID tagging merchandise at at factory. Um, and the RFID tags are integrated into the price tags, integrated into, um, you know, uh, the informational tags, um, into the tickets. And it's, it's a, uh, basically the RFID tag data has a UPC plus a serial number. So that, that's key. So that we could differentiate the same item, the same UPC, if there's five pairs, because of that unique serial number on every item, we, we can differentiate when we read these tags. And the infrastructure, the reader infrastructure can be a handheld device, 
that's leveraged with what the associates use today, a handheld computer, or it can be fixed readers or fixed mounted readers. They're installed at strategic locations at transitions um, or over sales floor or in the back room. Or most recently within the last couple of years, we've seen, you know, we're now trending where we're leveraging RFID readers or on robots mm-hmm. or uh, autonomous vehicles. So RFID instrumented AMRs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of those reads um, basically are pushed to a data repository and from that data repository, the inventory management system consumes that data. So the, so the on-hands are consumed so that, you know, we can provide dynamic replenishments or, you know, um, insight in terms of upstream processes. Absolutely. Perfect. And so when we think about the Zebra role in this, yeah. Do we think about Zebra is a kind of one-stop shop for all of these pieces, or do you guys particularly specialize in a specific one of these portions of this? We we provide, we, we are, I would say we're almost a one-stop shop. So we okay. provide a hardware layer um, very well. And for those retailers who are more of app developers or do-it-yourselfers, we, you know, we work closely with them, but at the same time, we have partners that are very laser focused on RFID inventory management or RFID for retail solutions that provide commercially off the shelf, um, you know, RFID solutions. So whether it's in terms of inventory scanning or omni picking, um, or replenishments that tie to their backend system. So it we we are to some degree one-stop shoppers for what I'll call the do-it-yourselfers. But at the same time, for those who are looking for you know commercially off-the-shelf shrink wrap software because they want to get started quick, um, you know we have a lot of partners out there that you know focus on this market as well. Yeah. So it may not be something you provide, but you work very collaboratively with label providers, software providers, et cetera. Uh, and, and and I guess the other question would be, okay, well, but Zebra probably doesn't talk to all retailers just because of the number of retailers yeah. that are out there, the big ones, the small ones, et cetera. Uh, I believe you work very closely with other companies like barcoding, et cetera. If they have a retailer that doesn't have the, the amount of buying power, that they can collaboratively work with you for that equipment as well, correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, awesome. we have a very significant ecosystem of even independent software providers and also, you know, value added resale partners. So awesome, awesome. Well, I think we've got a. I think we've got a a quick. Uh, piece of this, which is actually shows some of the results and, and these results, we don't hit read these, but the bottom line, Paul, you put this together. This is from a Auburn zipper project study, but some of these are amazing. I mean, the inventory accuracy, we start, well, we go back to what we said before 60 to 65%. Now we're up to 95, 99. Um, it was interesting. We had a, a interesting debate on LinkedIn the other day, which is what is the expected on hand accuracy? And somebody says, well, we shouldn't expect anything less than 99 point something percent. And I was like, wow, that's really hard to get 99%. <laughs> you yeah. probably, you could probably do it, but there are, there's a lot of pieces, but even getting it from the, the point was even getting it from 65 to 95 is a huge, huge benefit. So I, 
I, I would say this, that the genesis of, you know, really RFID in retail, the genesis was uh, apparel. And yeah. um, apparel is relatively speaking is our transparent. So it is very high 90s, you know, 98, 99. At the same time, now a lot of retailers, uh, you know, the more advanced have, it, it's within general merchandise or even tagging food. So there are some physics, you know, challenges there. But I would say on average, what I'm seeing out there, you know, is, when it comes to general merchandise and food included is at a minimum mid 90s. So yeah. Uh, it's 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 even with adding you know uh, a number of new categories uh, that are beyond you know the R of transparent apparel the tags have become much more sensitive um, and the reader technology in terms of uh, being able to read these tags there's a lot of new knobs that we can turn over the last you know three or four years that enables us to really get dialed in in terms of reading item you know level tags so. And we've actually got a, a video of, of uh, some folks at Auburn would just use it. This is a RFD 8500 device from Zebra with, I believe, your RFID 123 application. What's interesting here is it's counting the number of unique tags, which is the big number in the middle of 285, 286. But you look at the number of tags that it read duplicate many, many times. So 4,629 tags, it read over 250 tags per second. That's just amazing compared to line of sight kind of uh, kind of things. So we actually have a, a, a question from uh, our good friend JW from, from uh, barcoding. We hear so much about big retailers adopting RFID, but what is the adoption rate or market opportunity with small to mid-sized retailers let's say less than a hundred store uh, locations. Paul, any, any perspective on that? Um, less than a hundred stores. So yeah, that would definitely, that'd be in the small category. Um, ideal significant with the larger, you know, with the big box and some of the boutiques um, that fall into the 500 store or more, at the hundred store level, I, there certainly is opportunity. Um, they face the same challenges um, in terms of scaling out. It, there, you know, there may they may there may be more of an interest in leveraging, you know, for example, the handheld technology and relying on more of the cycle counts value proposition um, versus being able, you know, to um provide the infrastructure like a you know reader infrastructure throughout so just because of the total cost of ownership and you you know usually the store's investment but yeah it, there, there certainly is opportunity there yeah i think jw I, I would agree with that the only thing i would add is i think one of the challenges the smaller retailers have is the ability to influence source tagging so if a lot of right. their product is coming from re, from suppliers, CPG companies that already do tagging. And they've already kind of hit that tipping point that says, hey, I'm tagging for all the big ones. I'm just going to go ahead and tag everything. Then it makes a lot of sense for the smaller retailers to jump involved. But if you're a small retailer with under 100 stores, and you somehow have to influence your particular suppliers that don't do RFID with anybody else, that becomes a bit of a thing, a, a challenge and opportunity. So you got to kind of balance that because again, to, to Paul's point, you can tag at the DC, 
you can tag at the store every time you get closer or, or, clo or farther away from source tagging you you introduce errors of people tagging incorrectly not tagging everything double tagging etc and then you have a bad you know the merchandise and that's why i think 99 is really a tough hurdle to, to make because that makes a big assumption almost everything is tagged correctly everything is not double tagged nothing's missed you know all those other kinds of things that we work with gs1 and auburn on and so forth etc so hopefully that answers the question um so let's keep going here paul um I, I guess the the next thing is all right so here here's a couple of the solutions that we saw in the actual video we didn't see the yep. printer but those are the ones that actually allow you to scan and print but but this is kind of your normal portfolio when it comes from for hey i want to i want to get started in rfid uh, tell me about the various roles that this stuff plays. Yep. The journey typically starts with the handheld cycle counting and, um, you know, the associates are familiar with a zebra, um, you know, handheld computer that's utilized and by literally Bluetooth pairing um, the RFID reader, the sled that's on the bottom with that handheld computer. So the application resides on the handheld computer. You're cycle counting, you're collecting data. There might be a couple of clicks in terms of if you're in a particular section of the store or the front of the store or the back room, but you're automatically collecting that data as we you know, saw in the video. So cycle counting, or there's a, a find it function as well. If, for for uh, BOPIS pickers or Omni pickers, uh, we can use the Geiger counter function um, and then for items, if there are returns and the ticket's missing or the RFID tag is missing uh, for exception printing, you know, we have a portable RFID printer. So while it's printing the label, it's also encoding the RFID tag. So we want that RFID tag, um, you know, to be the UPC, again, plus the serial number. So they're printed on demand um, for those particular items. But it's a you know, simple, relatively speaking, to get started, your investment is um, relatively low um, to get into RFID. Paul, thank you very much for sharing that information with us. Really do appreciate it. Uh, well, join us next time. We're going to go back to our discussion with Paul Baboyans, speaking a little bit more about fixed infrastructure and some of the supply chain and asset protection opportunities with RFID and Zebra Technologies. We'll see you then.